Hey, what's up, everybody? Here we are, Tribeca, New York City, the new home of police off the cuff. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm, I'm your host, and on my far left, my co-host, uh, Bill Cannon. I thought you forgot my name for a second. No, I was going to no. say my partner in law enforcement, oh, okay. but uh, I That's just said cool. Bill Cannon. This is a very, very great day. I love the direction our show is going into. Obviously, if you're a fan, if you've been paying attention, playing along, you notice that we've had some of the best uh, cops, detectives, the chiefs, captains, whatever. We have some some prosecutors uh, have been on, medical examiners, and everybody has like a little uh, thing that they do after the job. Not little. They usually go into fantastic careers, uh, and uh, before or after, it's, these are amazing people that we're, we're interviewing um, all the time here on Police Off the Cuff. And today is no exception. Today, I'm really, really excited, too, because um, Bill has been chomping at the bit. <laughs> you see, Bill is not only was he a fantastic sergeant, uh, homicide sergeant with the NYPD, but he's also uh, he's a nerd. He's an academic. <laughs> he's an academic He's got two master's degrees? No, I have one master's Ma one degree. One master's degree. He asked me before we started the show, just so you know, you don't have any notes for today? <laughs> I said, well, since when do I bring in notes? I mean, I have brought in notes, but <laughs> like now I have to, because today is going to be uh, our guest, and I'm going to let Bill introduce him, because he's a big fan. I've become a big fan in the short time that I've met her, but Bill is, has been a huge fan, and you're going to find out why. Bill, go ahead. Sure. Um, I'd like to also say I'm an alumnus of uh, John Jay College, and Dr. Maria Maki Haberfeld is um, one of the worldwide experts on law enforcement, and she not only can talk the talk, but she can walk the walk. She was an Israeli police lieutenant also, and she trains the NYPD. She even trains the Marines. Hoorah! She, I, I'm sure if we asked her to do that, she could probably give us an hoorah. But she trains uh, the police. She's, done, she's written 15 books. And she's a true superstar in the criminal justice field, and we're very privileged to have her on Police Off the Cuff. Welcome. Welcome, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice to have you here. Thank you. Uh, we were talking, um, this is going to be great. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, well, first of all, you, you were born in, in Poland. Yes, I was. Yes. Uh-huh. Many years ago. Many, many years ago, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm half, I'm half Czech. My mother was from Czechoslovakia, so I know we have at least a couple words in common. So, Jak se máš? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's cheating. I didn't know he was going to do that. <laughs> but then you moved to Israel, right? When you were in your teenagers, yeah. teenage years, and why, why was that? Well, you know, Poland back then was a communist country, and as many communist countries went into some economic. Uh, Problems and who do you blame? The usual suspect, the Jews. So <laughs> yeah. So my father actually was a very high-ranking military officer, and uh, so it all uh, fits very nicely. A Jew, high-ranking military position. Why not to blame him for everything that's wrong with the Polish economy? <laughs> so um, we had to leave, and uh, actually we had an option of living uh, for the Scandinavian countries that were very accommodating back then. But my father said no. Never again, and we moved to Israel. But uh, and first, you were a sergeant in the army, right? Yes, I was how, a sergeant. How in long the did you do in the army? Two years. Two years. That's, That's what you, everybody has to do. Two years, right? Well, I've, not everybody. I mean, in general, well, the Hasids uh, don't. Have, <laughs> yeah, the Hasidim. The ones who claim religious exemptions and other issues, like you know, for women, if they get married when they're eighteen, they they don't have to. But um, 
it's hard for me to say that well, I was very excited about going to the military, but I felt that's my duty, and, uh, and I did uh, And it. being in the military, there's a, like, for example, Greece has a thing where I think you got to do a year, maybe two t- as well, but... Being in the military in Greece, is <laughs> mm. it's nothing like being yeah. in the military in Israel because yeah. Israel is like, since its inception, it's been on point. Like you have to, yeah. every day you're on point, right? Yeah, every day you're at war. And, and back then it was really a very bad time, uh, terrorist attacks almost every day. So uh, it was a challenging time. And I, uh, being an only child, um, you actually have an option of choosing your unit. So I chose a very unpopular unit because it was a unit that was created um, by the Israeli police together with the military to, to fight counter-terror- to fight terrorism in urban environments. And everybody would say to me, what are you, crazy? I mean, why do you want that? So they what said, was your job exactly then? So my job was very interesting. Um, uh, we worked a lot on uh, securing uh, targets, whether buildings or individuals and... Um, We also spent some time at the border with Jordan looking for um, individuals who are smuggling explosives to to Israel. And and this this is an interesting experience, I think, maybe to your listeners. When we were searching um, the Jordanians coming to reunite with their families in Israel, uh, frequently we would find Semtex explosives in children's diapers, in in. Pita bread that they would give their children We've to eat. We've seen pictures of that recently. I mean, it's unbelievable when, when you talk <coughs> about, you know, uh, freedom fighters and terrorists. Well, you know, wh- when you put uh, Semtex in your child's diaper, I don't know, you know, how you can call yourself a freedom fighter. Is that a plastic explosive? It is a plastic okay. explosive, and, you know, it looks like a feta cheese. So that's why they were putting it also in, in, in pita bread. They were wow. stuffing the pita bread and giving it to the children to pretend that they're eating their lunch and then smuggling it. So, you know, it gave me a certain view of how things are and, uh, you know, and also perspective on of possible <coughs> peace treaties with, with certain countries. Well, you know, we had learned on the NYPD in some of our terrorism training that suicide bombers uh, would have the vest... And it would be loaded, of course, with shrapnel. Mm-hmm. And when they pulled the trigger, which was usually a wire into their hand, they would raise their arms yeah. so it could do the most damage. And yeah. the Israeli police were trained if they saw someone overdressed in public doing yeah. that, to just put one in the back of their head. Listen, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's a survival game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you either kill or be killed. And, and, and I, you don't really have time for... Um, de-escalation, which is a popular word. <laughs> de-escalation right? training. There's no de-escalation. Mark was Mark's part of that now. Yeah, Tell her about that. You teach at the academy, right? Um, no, that, well, that has to do with mental illness. Oh, okay, okay. We're talking about Different. crisis intervention. James well, Shanahan. How to be able there. to detect um, what type of mental illness is it. Just don't shoot the person if they're autistic. That's, that's hmm. what the course is. Or, or if they're suffering... From uh, bipolar or dementia, you know, it's that's what it is. Right. It's being able to detect it. So we acted out for them the scenarios. So it's a little different than the de-escalation. Training. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. That's uh, that's a different course. Yeah, but it's of course you know sometimes the, the suicide bombers also, especially when it when you talk about children, they're not necessarily aware of what they're wearing and what is the end, the end game here because sometimes it's uh, controlled remotely. So it, it, it's, it's a moral uh, decision that you have to make. The two years that you have to do over there, does that include the training? Yeah. Because, I mean, you're, you're doing some really high... Uh, that's, you're doing very dangerous work already at just 
in an infancy of a, 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 an enforcement career, a yeah. law enforcement career, that's that's the heavy duty stuff. Yeah. What you're doing right off the bat. So first we go through the regular military. I went through the regular military training, you know, when they teach you how to kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Do you and use that on your students now or no? Not anymore. Not anymore. We, we live in <laughs> times that are too politically correct for this. But the truth is, you know, years ago when I started teaching, I I used to bring my handcuffs some um, that I kept as a memorabilia from the times I was a police officer. So I used to bring them to class, and and when I talked about the um, the interaction between the police and the public, and and I talk about use of force, I, I I used to ask for volunteers and put the handcuffs on on their hands, and of course in a control environment, and still you could see how how people become suddenly aggressive, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. that the, the freedom is restricted. But going back to to the training, yeah. So so first we went through the military training, and then specialized training how to detect. Um, Terrorist, terrorist activities, uh, you know, various types of explosives. And um, they were very creative back there, the terrorists. You could find explosives in everything, in a watermelon, you know, in a book, uh, money, paper money that was wrapped around. What what would raise you up to look for explosives in a watermelon? You know, it's out of place. Mm-hmm. So it's out of place. So so when you secure a, a venue and, and suddenly you see a watermelon, you know, that's right. not a regular place for a watermelon. It's different when you, you know, in a in a market when they're selling watermelons and it happened that they would just drop a watermelon next to a oh, pile of watermelons. Yeah. So um, it's usually you're looking for the cut, right? Because mm-hmm. in order to start the watermelon, you, you need to cut it in a certain way. So uh, anything that looked uh, out out of place in the sense that it was a bigger watermelon. And, you know, you become a little bit paranoid. Did you become very... uh, I worked six and a half years in anti-crime, and I was real good at reading body language. I could tell when the way people move, what crime they were going to commit. And I'm sure you had that sixth sense doing what you did. Absolutely. But sometimes you're just left with the... The product of their behavior, right? So they, 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 they bring the watermelon. So you don't necessarily see somebody placing. Of course, somebody dropping a watermelon, you know. I remember looking at the footage from the Boston Marathon, unfortunately, mm. and, and, and thinking, well, nobody's dropping a backpack next to me and leaving, right? Right, I mean, uh, that's, absolutely. That's, that's, that's not going to happen. Right. But Americans, they don't have it in their blood. In Israel, it's in your blood. You don't, you just... You look at things and and you look at things in a in a in a paranoid way, but this is how you save your life. Well, that right? whole if you see something, say something. I don't yeah. think it's interesting what you it. said here because yeah. now the crime rate is going up here in New York because this bail reform. But in Israel, you don't have really crimes like uh, too many robberies or burglaries and stuff like that, right? Well, recently, in recent years, and not even so recent, over of two decades or so, you know, they, they, this is the toll that the police paid. When the police is in charge of fighting terrorism, uh, then something has to get uh, give, right? So mm-hmm. so looking at, at regular crimes, the, the burglars, the robberies, and, and trying to, to, to prevent, um, you, you, you only have that many police officers. So when you don't pay attention to the traditional criminals and you pay more attention to, to terrorists, uh, they become emboldened. So, so certainly the crime rate in Israel is not what it used to be. Um, you know, I, I remember years ago there was um, a police superintendent from Chicago visiting the, the Israeli police and he talked about the shootings and the, the, the deaths and the murder rate and we were looking at 
it was surreal because back then in Israel we had like you know three murders a year and wow. he said I have three murders as we speak in Chicago <laughs> yeah? but uh, no so it's changed it's changed what I, my point was going to be but then you brought up the, the realization that it's different now because now you actually have more regular crime there as well because totally. there's so, so much paying attention to terrorism at the same time they have a dual job the yeah. law enforcement over there yeah. but back in the day you didn't have to worry so much about no. Regular crime, but you're always on high alert for terrorism. So you have another fear. Yeah, but but also crime was was always you know always there because you always have it. It, it doesn't matter you know what other threat is there. Although we we used to have this joke that you know thank God that we have the terrorist threat in Israel. Otherwise we would just kill each other. You know, because so, <laughs> people coming very similar to United States. People came from all over the world to Israel, so they had this common denominator: they're all Jewish. Well, what does it mean? Not everybody is religious, right? Uh, I came from a communist country. We were not religious at home. I, I always knew that I'm Jewish, but it was, you know, so so what, right? We still had a Christmas tree. So, <laughs> so uh, it's like my wife's Jewish. We have a Christmas tree yeah, too. Yeah. You know? So so you know, it's it's in Israel. It's very hard because people who are you know came from different backgrounds and everybody brought whatever. Baggage they brought. It's not well, you had that one thing in common that united you. The threat from terrorists. Yeah, that's yeah, why we yeah, say, thank yeah. God we have the threat. Otherwise, that's <laughs> it. You know, so, you know yeah. you, Dr. Hopfeld, you, you rolled your eyes a little bit before when we were talking about uh, the de-escalation yeah. training. And one of the things is it seems like the use of force, even if it's warranted, it doesn't look good. It never no. looks good. The never. public hates to see the police never. use force. But it's necessary and it's lawful. Yeah. You want to speak about that uh, for a minute? Talk. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I always say that use of force doesn't look pretty, and I always said that, you know, the more civilized we become as a society, uh, the more educated, the more aware of things, the more we resent the ability of the police to use force or the necessity of police forces to use force. But, you know, give me an alternative. How do you achieve compliance? You, you cannot talk everybody out of whatever dark things they want to do whether intentionally as an outcome of a mental uh, disability or illness, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And, and again, I, I think that uh, talking about de-escalation primarily um, stems from ignorance of people who don't understand what it means to, to face a danger, real danger on the street. And right. you, you have this proverbial split second that I would say it's a nanosecond, not even a split second, it's your life, somebody else's life, and, and, and the suspect's life. And, and, and you really don't have the luxury of, of, of engaging in this semi-intellectual discourse of let me de-escalate the, the situation. Well, there was a, uh, a, a commander from New York City who, who was in a uh, police department, I think, in New Hampshire. And he mm. made national news yes. saying cops shouldn't shoot a knife wielder. You know, but I'd like to see what he would do once the knife is sticking out of his chest, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's an across-the-board sort of stupid comment, you know. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and he and I had some discussions about the effectiveness of community policing over the years. He's a big proponent of community policing. And you're policing. not? Are I you? am not. I am not. I'm a, the biggest proponent of professional policing. To me, I devoted my life to professionalized policing. Tell us the difference. Well, the difference is that, that you do have to to treat people equally based on um, what they're doing and not how they look, who they are, right? That's professional policing to me. But um, 
but uh, community policing is basically asking the public how to do your job. So, right. so I would like to know how many other professions are out there asking the public how to do their job. You, you have to give the professionals what's due to them, that they know how to do their job. Uh, whether we need more training, yes, absolutely. Do we need different uh, criteria for selection and recruitment? Absolutely, but it's, I, I don't want somebody to tell me how to do the job when I am the professional, trained, educated, and, 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 and skilled to do what I have to well, do. Well, I always you know used to say the problem with that was that, you know, the police lock up the community. The community doesn't like that, but the criminals are part of the community. I always you know? say they don't come from different planets. <laughs> yes. Where do they come from? They come from the community. Yeah. So, so you know what? I, I want to go back a little bit to uh, you uh, on, um, in the military mm -hmm. in Israel mm -hmm. right now. And uh, it's just fascinating. How old are you at this point? When I joined, I was 18. 18 years old. And you're obligated to do two years. Yeah. Uh, did, you do, did you stay longer than that, or did you just do the two years? Can I you stay longer than that? No, I mean, you can stay longer if you want to become a professional um, military officer, but uh, I, I chose to join the police, so I moved from okay, the military so to the police. Was that a, like a lateral movement? Or, uh, I got my rank. I got my sergeant's rank from the military, and it transferred into, into police. So I started as a sergeant with the police. Yeah. All right, so you, st okay, so right off the bat, you had, um, and it's almost, is it the, the job over there is, because over here in the States, military is separated no. from, from the, uh, Law enforcement, like police. And, and so, is, so is in Israel. But as I explained, I, I, I joined the specialized unit that was created okay. to counter terrorism. So it was a collaboration between the Israeli police and the military. So it, this was a specialized unit, the only unit that allowed the lateral transfer. Like All right, cool. Yeah. That was a good idea then, going into that unit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, I always wanted to be a police officer, I believe. You know, for me, it was a calling. And uh, I actually, and probably a year before I joined the military, there was an option you could joined the Israeli police instead of the military. So this was my idea to begin with, but it ended a year before I enlisted, And but the unit was an alternative to this. So, um, and as a police officer now in Israel, um, well, how, does, how does it change? When, now you're kind of sort of in one area instead of being on the borders, right? Well, I was in the same... I was on, in, on the border, but also in, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, so um, it wasn't that different. It's just but you're catching one. cases now too, right? Aren't you? Yes, yes. But uh, again, you know, for me, it was always about... Um, the law, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you violate the law by, by being a terrorist or you violate the law by being a, you know, a robber or a burglar, it's still violation of the law. And it's not that, you know, I'm such a fanatic not, not seeing that certain laws are antiquated, need to be changed, need to be addressed, but they cannot be addressed by individuals. If you want to change a law, then there are ways of doing it. I yeah. agree with you 100%. So. You know, like, for example, de-escalation of marijuana here in New York City. It's fine. It's yep. fine if you want it, but it's still technically it's a yep. law. So what are we gonna? Wh which one are we following today? It's a big gray area. It, it's not just a gray area. It's it's. I, I think in a way it's demoralizing for for police officers when they don't know how to enforce. I think it has to be very clear. Things are they legal or legal? I personally was for drug legalization years ago, not just marijuana. Not necessarily <laughs> because I, I like to use drugs or I think that they're so good for you, but because I always felt that this is a war that never 
is going to be won by any law right. enforcement agency. I like you, Doctor. Uh, I yeah. think we're going to get along well. Okay. <laughs> we have a few hours together. <laughs> <laughs> but, How many years did you do on the Israeli Police Department? When altogether, 10. 10 years? Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, did you did you st start becoming more involved in law enforcement academically then, or did you what, what brought you back here to to the, to the United States to go to John Jay? Well, I, I didn't come here to John Jay. I oh. came here with the Israeli police. Back oh. then, back then we had um, Israeli police representative here in New York City, oh, wow. uh, and I was um, sent to serve as the office of the Israeli police representative in New York City. Now the it's, it's attached to the embassy in D.C. Back then it was attached to the consulate. So I ended up here as part of the Israeli police. But um, my boss, um, who was a very ambitious uh, general in the Israeli police, felt that um, he needs to enroll in a Ph.D. program because it will help him to become the first, uh, the first educated, highly educated police commissioner in Israel. And back then, even though I was very young and... Um, new to the police, relatively new, I told him, it's not going to happen. Police organizations don't like highly educated uh, police <laughs> officers. Oh, wow. But um, he had this idea that, uh, you know, it will work for him, especially if I enroll with him and write his dissertation. So, <laughs> so that's how I ended at John Jay, because yeah. of him. Oh, wow. Because of him. And years, years later, he went back to Israel with his PhD. Of course, he never became a commissioner. Wow. Because, you know. We are yet to see a, a commissioner with a PhD in Israel. Even though in America we, we do have some agencies. Mostly, mostly in America it's, they have law degrees. But there the are some that, that, that have PhDs. Actually some of my work um, on integrity and policing was done in St. Pete, Florida. And uh, back then when we were there for two years, um, the chief um, had a PhD. And uh, it didn't help us that he had a PhD, actually. <laughs> but uh, there, are, there are quite a few. Well, that brings up an interesting question. Do you think you need it? We always have this debate on the show whether to be a police officer, do you need, do, should you, or do you think you need college? Okay, so let me give you an example from my um, work in the Israeli police and, and then uh, how I feel about this. So one day we, um, we were told um, that we're getting a new colleague uh, for our team, and he's... Um, he has a, a PhD in psychology, and he's going to be part of our detective team. And back then, Israeli police wanted to have more people with education because there was this feeling, yes, we do need people with education to have better policing. So they were offering um, an ent a lateral entry with, with um, officer's uh, rank, like somebody who came with a PhD got a captain rank. That's how they started. And uh, the guy arrived, and we left him with a suspect. And um, <laughs> and after, yeah, you are the laughing. This you is can, not going to end can, well. You can see how it ended. <laughs> and right? the suspect had no cuffs on, and the PhD was cuffed. <laughs> Almost. When we came back, he was sound asleep, and the suspect was reading his file. So, and it's a true story, right? So, to me, first of all, you know. Not everybody can be a police officer. I'm sorry. No, doctor, you have such a great um, for an academic. You're like, well, you were a real <laughs> cop, and you're a real cop. But one of the things that we're, we're all troubled about on police off the cuff, and I mean, this is a broad question. You can answer it any way you want. Is American policing in crisis right now, and and why? I think American is. policing is in crisis from its inception. You cannot have 18,000 police forces that are governed by different rules, regulations, training. You cannot because people don't differentiate between police departments. So if somebody does something wrong in a police department in Ferguson, it immediately colors 
the 17,999 other police departments. So, um, so not centralizing police forces, not centralizing police training or standards for recruitment selection, the fact that you have departments that hire former convicts, right? People who, who have criminal records. Look at, um, you know, New Orleans uh, 20 years ago, half of the department had, you know, criminal record, half of the cops. You, you, cannot, you cannot do that. So yes, New Orleans looks different today, but there are still many departments that will look the other way as far as your criminal record is concerned. And, and to me, again, going back to what I said before, you violate the law, find another profession. You're not going to be a police officer. You're not going to be a good police officer. You know, you started saying about not everybody could be a police officer. Can you <laughs> tell us about that? I like it. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> well, you know, the police, police profession... It's predicated upon the, the, the notion that you have to, to enforce the laws, right? So somebody who violated the law, chances are that they're going to violate it again. This is psychology one-on-one, the best predictor of future behavior, past behavior. So, you know, That's you want great. to be a cop, <laughs> you, you want a second chance, good, but there are other professions, you know, become a firefighter. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> we had no firefighters as fans, now we have less, now we're in the negative. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, by the end of this podcast... Do you, you think, do you think uh, more on this, do you think physical fitness or shape or... Or height, um, uh, physical ability mm. should play into hiring a police officer. No, I don't think so. And I and I think that again that uh, the fact that uh, it's one of the criteria of, of you you have to to pass the agility test before you are recruited, and then after the academy nothing happens, right? You you can balloon to whatever weight you want. You mm -hmm. can be out of shape, and it doesn't matter. So this by itself already contradicts the notion that you should be in any shape. That's interesting. Uh, but I thought you were going to go the other way. With I, I'm a big believer in physical training. I went through this in the Israeli police once a week. And we, we had to go, you know, and work the out. The Kagmata, right? What we is that? We had to the, work out. We have to work what's out. What's that called? Krav Maga. Yeah, that's a, that's a badass martial arts. You it still is. know it? Well, can you I, still do it? You want me to try? No, 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 no. I just want to know. I don't know. I, I would love know. to see you kick his ass right on the camera here. I don't know. But do you, I know you guys are notorious for that throat thing, that thing right here in the throat. But I can tell you that when I came, a year after I came here too, I, I was actually attacked. I was in a chokehold in a, at an ATM uh, on 42nd Street. And... Um, and Did this guy live? I mean, how long was he in the hospital? I don't <laughs> know, but he be but he begged to let me, let him go. Oh, uh, oh I, I love it! So you know, uh, but it uh, was kung fu fighting. <laughs> Those cats were fast as lightning. <laughs> Little did he know. Little did he know it was a bad day for him. A bad he knows Krug Maga. Oh my God! Can you imagine the thought that was going? What the? Yeah. How did I end up here? Yeah. Like, on the floor. How did I attack an Israeli police lieutenant? <laughs> Again, bad day. Um, but, you know, seriously, I'm, I'm the biggest believer in physical training for police officers. I've been advocating for this for years. I, I've, you know, visited a number of police universities around the world, in Finland one. This is something that they, I'm, I mean, invest so much in this. In Finland? In Finland, out of all the places. Four-year university, physical training, mental health, mental well-being, that is related to physical uh, training also, you know, but... Uh, you know, a lot of that, uh, Dr. Hopperfield, yeah. is that police in, like, let's just use New York City, Mo many of them have to work two and three jobs mm -hmm. to support their family, so physical fitness is sort of on the back burner for a lot of people. Maybe if they paid them more money like a professional police force, 
they could stay in shape. Well, and you know, uh, my, my physical uh, training in, in the Israeli police was part of the shift. So we, we had to go. We had two hours once a week. And during these hours, you know, we would go and do... In New York, they'd be practicing how many the, hot dogs they yeah, could eat. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> or beers and, but, they could drink. But, you know, but, it's, but to me, again, any, any other professions that, that would uh, require you to... to, to and maybe an hour a day? An hour a shift? And I know that, you know, two hours once. But it's interesting that you said that um, it is funny that you have to be in some sort of physical shape to get on the job, and then you actually work out, but then there's nothing really required of you afterwards. Nothing, nothing. Maybe that should be a reward to maintain your physical fitness. Listen, again, don't put into the academy as part of the criteria for becoming a police officer something that becomes irrelevant after you graduate because it really sends a bad message as far as everything else is concerned the ideal the ideal police officer yeah is who so i don't know if you watched I, i'm sure you watched there was this, this there was this funny movies police academy yes. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so i loved it they had this this women who who couldn't speak and you know in different shapes and yeah. forms and by the end of the movie they're all in top perfect shape right, and right. Uh, um and to me, policing is not chasing the purple food anymore. I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, you're not storming the buildings anymore. It's a lot of uh, mental, you know, work. You, you have to think. You have to be very intelligent. You have to be very aware of your environment. And, and, and these this are the, the skills that, that need to be honed and, and, and developed and uh, how fast you run or, you know, how many push-ups you can do. Right, I, mean, right. I could never do any push-ups, you know. I have weak But arms. if you believe that physical fitness is related to mental fitness, right. then you, you would, should think that uh, staying in shape is an important yeah, thing. Staying in shape, but not necessarily, again, being a criteria for recruitment, whether right, you okay. can run a mile in 18 minutes or 15 right, minutes right. or you can do that, ma- that many push-ups, no. Well, that was my uh, thing. I, I, I think I said it wrong. I was thinking about uh, the perfect recruit. What, are they, what do they have personality-wise that, that, that First, gives them? Yeah. Because you said some people shouldn't be cops. No. So maybe an easy way to say is who shouldn't be a cop? If you can't do this, you're probably not going to be. I think, first of all, you shouldn't be a cop if you're younger than, than 25. Me too. I agree I with that too. Mean, Second one. Okay. Second we, we, we didn't know back then, years ago, that you don't fully develop emotionally into your late, until your late 20s. Especially me. Most women I was with, they said mm-hmm. until I was 35. And now you're okay? <laughs> Almost. I'm no. getting there. I'm okay, 52 good, now. Good, good. So, um, so, so, you know, I mean, so, so what? We usually I, don't want our guests to be funnier than us, <laughs> but that's all right. Okay. I will dial it down. That's okay. That's okay. It's the coffee here. Um, no, no, but seriously, I mean, it's a job. I, I, I don't like the fact that they recruit people at such an early age, and then they let them go at a, at a certain age. That That's also the age that actually you could contribute much more. I see. Oh, 63, you don't want these fat chiefs kicked the hell off this I job. I, I want them off this job. Well, the reason why I agree with <laughs> you is because yeah. I, always, uh, I always go back to this one story where I was driving through Harlem once with, uh, with a detective that Bill used to uh, be the boss of, and he was like this power lifter guy, you know what I'm talking about, and that guy, every while we're driving, every corner, he knew exactly what, somebody got shot on this corner, there was a homicide on this corner, oh yeah, I remember the, the girl that got killed over here, and his brain was like a computer, and I'm like, it's a waste that this guy's gonna age out 
and all this knowledge should be downloaded onto a computer somewhere yeah. so we can have it for resources and it's just going to go. Listen, also, and as an example from, from my career, when I worked juveniles, we, you know, we arrested one day some, some guy for, for guy, a 15-year-old for, for joyriding, and his father arrived to bail him out, and he was up in arms and screaming at me and saying, oh, what are you doing to my child? He said, you don't have children. Said, okay, whatever. No, I don't. But he was right. It's, it's different, you know. I, when you work juveniles, it would be nice if you were a parent already. You, you would yeah. have a different understanding of sure. who you're dealing with. Yeah. Or you're sending 20-year-old to a domestic violence situation. What do they know? Oh, what yeah. do they know? That's they don't true. understand the dynamics. Well, with right. domestic violence, they've taken a lot of the uh, discretion The away. guessing There's game. There's no yeah, discretion. Yeah, yeah. I know, discretion. But, but still you have to make the decision who to take with you. And this decision, right? Also, you're not taking both. You're taking usually one part. I had, to, I had to lock up a rabbi once. Do you believe that? Yeah. 25. I do. <laughs> I do. Because they, the, the Orthodox Jews actually in Jerusalem were, were quite a problem for us. Though. So he was beating up his wife. Domestic yeah. That's what was. He was. A lot of domestic wife, violence yeah. going on there. He begged me because he had a funeral and a wedding. And every, I sorry, rabbi, I can't help you. You know, I think 25 is a good age, especially in the uh, metropolises. Uh, because you, you, if you don't get arrested by 25, you're probably a good person or something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that has a somehow you manage to escape getting all the way to 25 without getting in trouble. You probably are, you're probably a decent person in my book. Yeah. You know? Yeah, again, but at least you you are equipped mentally to deal with things and not more things, know, more, more things, and 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 you can use discretion in a better way rather than you know being 21 or 22. And as I, as I get older now too, I realize if I would get pulled over and the, the the person that's walking up to me is like a kid, like my son's age, right? And I'm looking at him like, how, you know what I'm saying? How is he going to understand how? I think it's important. I think 25 is a good age, and I think they should raise the retirement age because I don't know if you watched the, um, the Super Bowl, but yeah. now we can see what you could do at tw uh, 52 years old, right? I mean, Jennifer Lopez, for crying out loud, I don't care what you think. Yeah. She's in good shape, man. She's 52? I think so. 50. 50? Yeah. Phenomenal yeah. shape. Don't. I mean, if you have 10 trainers, 7 nutritionists. I don't care. <laughs> Listen, you can give me all that. I'm but not, it is, you I'm know, not gonna be it the is related. It's, it's something interesting. You mentioned nutrition. I was in uh, China in no, no, November, November, before the outbreak of the virus. So I'm good. <laughs> Quarantine. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I was there for, for 10 days. I was. Um, visiting professor at the Chinese Police University, which is, by the way, phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese Police? Chinese Police University in Beijing. The level of education they're getting. By the way, everybody speaks English there, so I don't wow. know if it's an indication of their aspirations or uh -huh. whatever. Yeah. But food-wise, they feed their, their recruits, you know. They pay so much attention to nutrition there. Mm -hmm. And when you go to this... Um, Eating hall, you know, again, they have thousands of recruits, which is an amazing at a given time. Uh, they, they had like 10,000 recruits, so you can imagine the, the size of this. Uh, but th th they had like maybe 15 different vegetables, you know, fruit, everything. So, so that's, that's already investment in their well-being. Right, the right. NYPD nutrition program consists, <laughs> when you're in the academy, it consists of Donuts. eating whatever is around the corner at the <laughs> diner. But now they have the academy. Someone they have actually have someone mentioned there. those range meatball heroes. Remember when you went to yeah. the range, <laughs> the gunpowder meatballs yeah, yeah, they had yeah, yeah. there. Oh my god! But <laughs> they do have a, a nice cafeteria in the new academy now. But you have to pay for it. It'd be nice if yeah. if the job picked that up. If I mean, it was, it was OTA, we talked right? about money. 
It's one way that you can save you a can cops some money. Yeah. yeah, feed them. Feed yeah. Them. yeah. But, you know? But, you know, you're Especially now since you can't get food from anybody. You don't trust mm. anybody. They wanted to know who cooks at the range. I think it's... A, uh, the some, inmates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Department <laughs> of Corrections. They bring the... You believe that? The I police do. department brings in guys from Rikers to work there to, like, clean up the range and we stuff? We didn't have it in Israel, but we have the prisoners cleaning our cars, and I would always think, wow, what else they did in this car, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know for, so, yeah, that's, that's a very bad, um, yeah. bad, bad habit of bringing, uh, you know... And they wore these jumpsuits that had Doc yeah. on the back, and they were not doctors. Doctors, That no, stood for no, Doctor yes. Department of so Corrections, right? Yeah. So when you came here to America and you... Um, you were uh, an Israeli police officer, and you're working over here, like mm-hmm. almost like for the embassy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Now you start going to John Jay. Yep. And I guess you went long enough to get. Did you have prior uh, education or c- sure. credits? How, like, how long yeah, did yeah. you have to go to John Jay before you? Or, I, I already came with a master's degree in criminology. Oh, you came with a master's degree. And yeah. it's actually not John Jay, it's CUNY. You went to all the universities of CUNY, right? Well, CUNY, John Jay is part of CUNY. Right, right. So, but yeah. it's not just but John so, Jay. So, but, but the PhD is actually a CUNY degree. It's right, physically right. located at John Jay, but, but it's a degree that you get from CUNY. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you came here with a master's degree. I came right? with a master's in criminology. And an attitude too, right? Always. <laughs> Always. Yeah, you, you don't believe me? Ask, ask that guy from the ATM. That <laughs> That's guy. right, man. He, he still has a Crick in his neck, that guy. Yeah. Wherever he now is, now he's today. on the John Jay faculty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's teaching criminal justice. <laughs> Don't ever mess around with it. <laughs> I figured if she could do that to me, yeah. maybe she could teach me how to do that. <laughs> you can't beat him, yeah. join him. Yeah. 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 You know, Dr. Hopperfeld, one of the things I, I find interesting too, and you all you talked about training, and you just you got all excited describing the Chinese police academy training, mm-hmm. and what 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 do we lack in training in and the NYPD, and even larger yeah. in this country in police training. NYPD is actually one of the better police departments when it comes to training. I mean, you know, I was doing my research on, on integrity. I mentioned before St. Pete's. So we were in three departments for two years, in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina, and St. Pete. Back then, Charleston, South Carolina, they, they had eight weeks of training. That's okay. it. You become a police officer. So what's lacking? Length, the duration. You know, all the, the, the more progressive countries now have universities, not mm-hmm. academies, universities. They last for four years before you become a police officer. So you Where have is this? Norway, Finland, uh, you know, uh, Japan for that matter. Uh, um, so you're going to college to become a police officer, basically. Yes, but it's not a regular college. It's a police university. So they, they integrate the physical, the tactical uh, training with the academic training, which it's a very applied profession, policing, but it's not a, a, a profession that should be removed from the academic aspects of it because understanding people is very academic. Yeah, It's not right. a tactical thing. Yes, you can learn the body language, but you also have to learn what's going on in people's minds. Sure. And this is psychology, this is sociology, this is anthropology, all these things. But do, ac- look, do academics necessarily know how to teach that? I mean, I, I would say I became as good as I became as an anti-crime cop through the thousands of hours I did on the street. Sure. So now, you know? right now in the UK, for example, they, they, they decentralize nowhere near what we have here. They have 43 forces. But now, as of about two years ago, this is mandatory now for, for them to have uh, a bachelor's degree. So they're bringing to all the universities in the UK that have a criminal justice or police um, degrees, they're bringing former practitioners with master's degrees mm-hmm. to be trainers. Okay. So now, 
it's the practitioner term. Right, you are, sure. Um, sorry, the, the pracademic. The pracademic. <laughs> Former practitioner, current academic, they are the instructors, they are the professors. Yeah, the, listen, if this is a, um, a strictly uh, a, a lecture in, in, a, in, in psychology 101, you don't necessarily need a police officer. But anything that has to do with taking the knowledge from psychology 101 and making it, it uh, applicable to your encounters, tactical encounters in the field, sure. this is a must for, for academics. But are the expectations uh, for a police officer who has the amount of training he has, aren't they un unreasonable? Expectation of policing as a professional are unreasonable. To you, begin you with, touch upon you talk that? you talk about you, you talk about identifying people who suffer from autism or, or bipolar. Even psychiatrists sometimes do not know what kind of mental um, issues you you experiencing. How can you expect a police officer to diagnose, especially you know, within an environment that is already charged with possible uh, violent uh, outcomes? There's no way you can identify some the difference between a person who is under the influence and who suffers from mental illness, I don't think you can have a police officer um, making the, the... But society and politicians expect police to be able to do that. Yeah, listen, so August Volmert, right, who used to be the, the legendary chief of uh, Berkeley, California in the 20s and 30s, uh, 1920s, 1930s, he already had this wonderful uh, um, formula, what the society expects of police officers. Basically, you know, he talked about... the. The, the patience and the, the skills and, and the level of education. And, and then he, his final sentence was, was the best one. And if a police officer will have all these skills, maybe then the public will consider them as professionals. As professionals. Maybe, yeah. even yeah. If, if they will have all the you skills. You think any other profession could survive having a camera on their chest? Going no. about their day's work. Now, starting with college professors, yeah. <laughs> and ending with medical doctors. By the way, they are now introducing cameras to 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 doctors, and they are fighting it. I yeah, mean, well, why like wouldn't it. they? You know, of course, they don't like it. And 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 you know, there, there is this anecdotal um, number that people throw out there, and I don't know how accurate it is, but they, they attribute twenty, thirty thousand of deaths every year to medical errors. Right. Can you imagine if there were oh 20, God. 30,000 of deaths? Police errors. Police errors? Oh, my God. No. Interesting point. No, no. Wow. the scrutiny is unbelievable. The, the police so, I mean, what do you think about, of uh, body-worn video? So, uh, I said I wouldn't want to be a police officer wearing a body-worn camera. It's not necessarily because I was such a, you know, rule violator. So well, you're a crack maga expert. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but I think, again, to understand policing, you have to walk the walk, right? I mean, I got one C during my doctoral studies from a professor who taught professional policing. This was the title of the course. And she was an anthropologist, and, and she and I clashed a lot. And one time, you know, I was young and inexperienced in my political correctness. I said to her, <laughs> I said to her I'm sorry. You're an anthropologist. And they say that you don't have to be the member of the village or the tribe to study the tribe. But I will tell you, in order to understand policing, you have to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And she, of course, took it uh, the way she took it, and I ended up having the C for the course. Um, uh, but, you know... Um, well, it happens sometimes. I don't, want to, to, I don't want somebody to look at the video footage, which, again, is restricted, because it shows only the certain way that the lens points, right? It mm -hmm. doesn't show everything around it. It doesn't right. show how people react to you. It doesn't show the smell. It doesn't show the, the various um, 
factors that impact your decision making. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the heat, sometimes it's the rain, the cold. I mean, all these are legitimate factors in your discretionary decisions and the camera doesn't record it. And now people look at the camera and say, but I'm seeing this. No, you think a fraction of an interaction. But, I mean, don't you think that the, the camera is actually helping in more situations than not? Do they help? The police officer. No. I mean, I, I think no. from because my perspective, mm-hmm. what I've seen mm-hmm. is most of the time now, these these uh, this footage is is coming in defense of the police officer. They're being able to call upon it and say, "See, this person was lying. That's not what happened at all." So I actually was uh, called as an expert witness in the case um, that had the footage of the body cam, and uh, the judge completely dismissed uh, what was on the body cam, claiming that um, she knows better than that. So what? yeah, the yeah. judge. The judge. The judge dismissed the footage that I was advocating that based on the footage, the officer did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And the judge said, I, 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 I know you so forth when I see it. Okay. Oh, that's I mean, good. Excessive mm-hmm. use of force. Oh, when so I excessive. See it. I know excessive use of force. Well, you know, you I mentioned um, Ferguson before and how uh, the, the Michael Brown case uh, became sort of a, a defining moment, not just for the Ferguson Police Department, but the whole entire nation. And when that was dissected and when it was fully investigated, it showed that the cop was right. Yeah, I think there was an investigation <laughs> by the FBI. I actually attended a lecture by the FBI uh, agent who was there doing the investigation. And they, there was no hands up and there was no... No, uh, hands up, nothing. don't shoot. There was all but a lie. But even though it was proved by the investigators, right, and I'm doing the quotation mark because people dismissed it they they want to hear and they want to see what they want to hear and they want to see so even if he had the camera there would still be an issue of the the, the race difference the age difference there's, there's you know given the history of this country it's understandable that people feel that there is you know some sort of uh, uneven treatment sure and whenever there is i remember the sean bell case right? yes yeah and i i was on uh, on the radio um with lisa everett i believe and i think eric adams was uh, with me mm-hmm. and i was and he was saying you know again it's because um sean bell was of a certain race and i said but the police officers were of a certain race also and he said no once you become a cop you blow doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I don't reason. agree with that argument at all. Yeah? I don't agree with this either. No. And, and actually, well, empirical research shows that it's not the case. Let me ask you, um, um, how much do you think the way you look at something, because you mentioned the, the professor that you got into an argument with. Mm-hmm. Or, well, actually, I think it was the judge when you were mm-hmm. in court and you brought up this argument and yeah. she's looking at it. Uh, so when I was, uh, before I got on the job, I remember right before I got on the job, it was the OJ, uh, not the OJ, uh, the guy, uh, Los Angeles Riots. What was the guy's name? The guy Rodney, King. Rodney King. Rodney King. And there was, t- to me, I look back, there was two ways to view that. You either viewed that and said, you know what, that guy deserved it because he shouldn't be speeding uh, and trying to get away with the co- from the cops uh, doing 100 miles an hour, putting everybody's life in danger. Or you looked at it and said, those cops should be in prison. That's, And it was just like, it was so down. How, how does that... Do you even know, like... Uh, I, I don't think that it was just either or. I, I, again, we are looking at a fraction of a situation, right? a fraction of an account. And people say, okay, you should behave in this and that way. 
And I said, okay, if you want somebody to behave in a certain way, you have to, rec- going back to recruitment selection, you have to have the right people right. who can control their emotions, who are able to disregard whatever was going on on a personal level, because it becomes personal. As we all know, as former cops, it becomes personal. Mm-hmm. Even though you're supposed to maintain your objectivity, well, you know, people write things, and then there are people who do things. People who write things can tell you maintain your objectivity. But when you are in the heat of a moment, when, when, when you were threatened, when other lives were threatened, uh, maintaining objectivity is, is almost mission impossible. You know, Doctor, I was just thinking of that. When one of the things I, as a boss, and you probably know this too, is that one of your jobs was to try to protect your cops. Yeah. Because... In the heat of a moment, like a Rodney King thing, they may want to beat the shit out of this yeah. guy. And it's your job, once the situation got under control, it. to pull the cops Absolutely. off, pull them back. Because yes. they're human beings. Absolutely. You know, and their life was just threatened. And they're going to, and I, I had done that numerous uh, yeah. cop putting his knee into a back yeah. of a perp. Yeah. And I was like, get your knee off him because he yeah. can't breathe. And you'll kill him if you keep that. You but know? but well, this, again, it is a function, again, of proper education and training. Because when I think back to things that I've done as a cop, if I knew what I know today, I would have behaved differently. But mm-hmm. I didn't know it because my training was also deficient. I didn't receive numbers of hours upon hours of psychological, you know, be training of how people behave under stress, how people behave under how you react to them. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me, listen, if somebody's going to spit in your face, you immediately will want to react and mm-hmm. you have to start controlling. Nobody told me mm-hmm. that you will have to internalize a lot and, and then you know, I remember the first body I saw uh, as as a, as a young cop. And you know, it was a body of an older woman who was brutally killed. You go home and they tell you, okay, suck it up. You cannot suck it right, up. That's true. You cannot suck it up. It stays with you. That's part of PTSD. Yeah. That will and, always and, stay and, with and you. Yeah. And, and if you don't deal with it, if you don't, uh, you know, debrief people, if you don't put enough resources for people to be able to deal with these emotions, sooner or later you will see excessive use of force. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you think something, some, some of that has... Um, Maybe a psychology with police also too, because there's this theory behind um, you got to handle this situation. Because if you don't handle it properly, then the next guy that's going to come across is going to get it ten times worse. It's it's it, I think it's very personal again, and that's why it requires years of training and education to to identify your 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 weaknesses, to identify your ability to handle situations. I don't think that anybody on the job really thinks about the larger picture of you know when when mm-hmm. when come to sharp in the sense of using force. And I think that many police officers engage in excessive use of force not because they want to engage in excessive use of force, but this is a way in which they release the frustrations that were built up over the years of seeing things. Of, of And again, there is this... Um, wonderful uh, scholar, his name is John Crank, and the other one, Michael Caldera, and they write about this, that police officers frequently act upon the blood of the victims, it's the term, that they, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 the encounter by itself that you're looking at maybe does not necessitate this excessive use of force, or mm-hmm. does not necessitate excessive use of force, period, but it's not the encounter by itself that generates It's an accumulation, accumulation of frustration of frustrations and What you're saying is what the, what the detective or the cop might be uh, knowing what the case was or what happened to that girl. So mm-hmm. not only, he's not really reacting to this, the guy resisting right yeah. now, but he's also reacting to what this guy did to that girl. Absolutely. And, and, and going back to what Nicky, it was very excessive, but again, you, and again, I, I don't justify this behavior at all. 
but I'm saying you, you have to understand what is the cause of this behavior. If you want to correct the behavior, some punitive in-service training is not the is not the you know the the, the, the remedy. There, it's not yeah. the remedy. It's not the answer. So whenever there's some high-profile case, there is an immediate in-service punitive training. I call it mm-hmm. because cops know that this serv- this training is training. It's not a function of police department suddenly seeing the light. Mm-hmm. It's the police department needing to do something. Mm-hmm. To appease the public. Yeah, you're right. You're right? right. So, well, when you talk about training too and, and the use of force, knowing what we know now and how ugly force looks, what mm-hmm. cops should be trained in jujitsu that they can de-escalate and or actually hold someone for longer than you know. Usually, if you're gonna, you try to make someone stop to have the will to keep fighting you, and you do that by hitting them. And when the crowd mm-hmm. sees you hit the guy, all of a sudden the crowd gets behind this guy that just robbed this yeah. old lady. Because they don't like to see the yeah, jiu jitsu is a it's a great one on one sport, but you see a lot of these uh, these situations. They're, they're yeah. surrounded by people. Now you are you're yeah. you're engaged in one person. Right. A- again, from personal experience, I, I, I'm with 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 my team. We are playing close, arresting a, a 15 year old, and uh, who already managed to kill a couple of people in his uh, short career. Really hardcore criminal. Who, by the way, 10 years later was was killed by a gang and. A, by then, he was already very, very hardcore. And we are in the market, and we are arresting him. There are four of us. And we're trying to use less force, right? Because when there are more of us, we can use less sure. force. But still, he looked like a little boy. He was 15. He looked like 12. The crowd, the public, moved at us. You know, They, they, they tried to release him. They, tried, they took his side. They yeah. took his side. Mm. And how do you explain to him at this, to the crowd at this point? Listen, this is a hardcore criminal. He might look like this twelve-year-old. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you know, th- uh, that's why I'm saying. Well, I used to love that we pick some guy off a bus and just slap the cuffs on him, and someone on the bus would say, I, I, "He didn't do anything. They yeah. don't know he's no. wanted for a robbery. No you probable cause. Yeah, yeah. No probable you text the sky. I'm a lawyer. Good guy. Yeah. Go practice. You know, I, yeah. everybody. Everybody knows how to criticize police. Yeah. This is what's uh, very disturbing to me as somebody who devoted her life to the profession. It hurts, it hurts me to see yeah, what's going everybody. on right now in everybody this city. Everybody can criticize your performance. Yeah. Nobody will criticize. Do the police um, in these countries where they have the four-year universities? Hmm? Do they respect the police more over there? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a direct correlation between this. Is, this is also part of my research over the two decades. It's a direct correlation between the level of education and the respect for the profession. Direct correlation. Wow, that's interesting. Direct correlation. You think that would happen well, The irony is most of the people that you're going to come across or going to arrest aren't going to be college graduates. They're usually going to be somebody... That <laughs> dropped out of high school, you know. So majority of police departments around the country ex- will accept GED, which is unacceptable to me. Unacceptable to me to. Yes, but, well, now maybe, but not. But you, you go back to a time where most people just had a high school education. Yeah. A GED didn't look that bad because most people didn't go to college. But again, I, d- would you accept a doctor who has a GED? No. no? Well, I mean, maybe. You know. How much? No. Listen, <laughs> what I am mean, I getting done? As long as you wore the camera. You have the power of life and death in your hands. Uh-huh. You cannot be like a high school dropout. I'm sorry. Well, uh, go back to the four-year acad- uh, colleges. Now, do they let them out in the street in the meantime? Yes. Uh, periodically? Because I would imagine getting yeah. trapped in a college for four years talking mm-hmm. about it. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you got to do it. No, no, no. 
absolutely. It's an integrated, uh, holistic approach. You have the classes, and then you go back, you attach to the stations or prisons, and, and, and you policing there, not with police powers, but just, just you know, as a, as a student, and then you go back to classrooms and you analyze and, you know, discuss things that you've experienced. So... Um, this is this is this, this is the approach. Well, how about I like that approach. I think see, to me that makes sense. And not only that, uh, in Finland, for example, uh, higher education is free. So after you don't have to pay for it. So 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 after they finish the four-year degree, and they go for an interview and they ask them after what you've learned and experienced, do you still want to be a police officer? Mm-hmm. And if they say no, they go. Right. They don't have oh, to. Oh, so yeah. so that's you know. Sometimes you don't know what you're signing but up here, the for. The problem right? over here is they're making such a financial investment in each recruit that even if you go through the academy and you're not passing all the stuff, you're getting close to the end. At this point right now, we got sixty, eighty thousand dollars invested in this person. They got to get out there. Yeah, but then how, how do you measure the price of one life taken? You know, yeah, in, in a way. And again, the passing grade is C. Who who wants professionals whose average is a C? Because right, right? you don't go to a restaurant that has the prominent C, C in not. the front, right? I'm, not I'm, even I'm a B. walking by that. Not even a B, right? Yeah, not even not, a B. Not, no, not no I a see B. a B. I'm but, passing the but B. But you give a gun to a person who barely passed the academy. What's the what's the rationale? Sixty thousand dollars. Well, also, too, if you did have military, then maybe you don't need to do the four years because you already did two years and you have some type of experience. What do you think about that? No, I think people who are in the military actually should stay away from the police. Oh, yeah? <laughs> no, because what is your job as a soldier? To kill. That's your only job. You're not sent there to de-escalate situations. You're not sent there to, to minimize the damage. On the contrary, you're sent there to kill. That's your job as a soldier. Then you come and become a police officer, and the last resort is to kill somebody, not the only and the first. So you have to reprogram the guys, and it's hard. It's hard to reprogram somebody. Well, with training even, how about as far as once someone is a cop already, in-service training, constant training, constantly honing the skill, constantly redefining. Like, we, we talk about how... Firearms training is one of the most important part of training, and we go what, what once a year, or you go to the yeah, range. Yeah, that's ridiculous. The most important thing that absolutely missing in most police academies, not just in America but around the world, to me is the communication skills. To me, it should be as important as. Are the you firearms. talking about verbal judo? No, I'm talking about <laughs> communication skills, like you know, like we talk right now. You know how many cops I had in my students over the years who cannot do a presentation. Five minutes presentation. That's interesting. You know what? And speaking of conversation skills, I got to tell you, man, this has been truly, truly amazing. We're going to take a break now. Um, what we do is we take a five-minute break, if that's all right with you, doctor, and um, we, we refresh our coffees, our waters. <laughs> but I just want to tell you, man, this is... She's great. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know why? Because the beauty of, of conversation is not knowing what the, uh, the person's going to say. Mm-hmm. And there was sometimes that I thought I would throw something at you and I was already expecting a certain answer, and you just blew me away every single time. What you said made more sense than what I was even thinking, obviously, because, you know, you're a doctor and stuff. Yeah, and I I'm make an idiot, my living by talking, you know. <laughs> my favorite part was when she kicked the guy's ass. Yeah, yeah, ATM. we'll get back that to that. Great. All right, so we're going to come back for, uh, for a second hour with Dr. Maki. All right, thank you so much. Police off the cuff. 